don't even know if we need to really do anything else. That was incredible. Appreciate the, the worship band. Um, it's great to be with you. My name is uh, Chris Collins. I work full-time ministry in the city of Tucson with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, I've come to that position about two years ago after a, a 10-year career as a college baseball coach in Nashville, Tennessee. And so um, God spoke about two years ago and uh, moved our family out of coaching and into ministry full-time, uh, away from Nashville, Music City, great city, here to Tucson, greater city. That's right. That's right. One, one thing that's really ironic about me being in here is I was actually born and raised in Tucson. I graduated from Flowing Wells. That's right. Three of us. Was, all three of us did it. It was awesome. Uh, Graduated from Flowing Wells in, in 1997. I was born and raised in this town. And in fourth grade, I literally was about right here. And uh, I had my violin. We were having a recital here at Catalina High School. It was pretty much everybody that owned a violin in TUSD. We were all on this stage. There was about 400 of us. And uh, I, about in the first song, I, I went to play and my string broke. And so I'm up here on this, like I'm, I'm working so hard for, for this performance, right? And the string breaks. And so I'm yanking on the string, trying to get it fixed. And before I know it, the concert's over. My finger's bleeding. I hadn't played a note, right? I got, I got grandma and grandpa in the back, mom and dad. I got like a whole fan club back there. And, and I said right there, I remember praying, God, I will never come back in this building again. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do appreciate Pastor Jack giving me the opportunity to share with you tonight. Uh, they are big shoes to fill. Uh, not literally. Pastor Jack's not a big man. Um, but he is, he is a giant in the faith. Somebody that I've come to know and love and respect even in two short years being here in town. I appreciate his heart. And I appreciate the heart of this church and the ministry you guys are doing. And so it's, it's awesome to be with you tonight. I, I know that you guys are probably already eyeing my bat. And that's another thing. I, I have a little bit different teaching style than Jack. So um, I don't want anybody out of line in here this evening. And uh, we're going we're gonna to beat some people into submission in Jesus' name. Actually, I'm just kidding. Well, one of the things that uh, as, as, a, as a public speaker, they say that sometimes it's helpful to keep something in your hand or, or maybe to, to do some sort of talent or something, maybe to take away some of the nerves. And so I thought, well, you know, I've, I've done this many times, just kind of balance this bat. And I, I could do this for a while. I uh, probably would stop once the crowd erupted in unbelievable applause for my talent. There it is. There it is. Yeah. You guys would have let me go for 20 minutes, but, uh, but no, anyway, uh, that was just kind of to take away some of the nerves. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna lay this right here. Try not to trip over it, but we'll, we may come back to that. So um, as you came in, uh, you probably got a, uh, a sheet of paper. Hopefully you did. Uh, we, in addition to our work uh, with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, my wife Sharon and I are on part-time staff at Oro Valley Church of the Nazarene. We do ministry to young families. And at our church, we are what we affectionately call a fill-in-the-blank church. And that means that we get notes every week and we fill in the blank all the way to our faith. So it's awesome. So I thought, I'm going to bring that to Elements. I know you guys are like way down the road in technology. You're on like version, and you got like everything is digital. And Pastor Jack was like, I don't know that our people even know how to write, but they can text like crazy, right? So if you got one of those and you come in, this is just a fill in the blank. This, this really helps us get further faster. And so that's kind of why I wanted to go with notes and, and talk to you tonight about this idea of a lifestyle of availability. You're going to hear me say the word availability probably a hundred times tonight. 
It's something that I really want to drive home. I want to challenge your availability right now in your life. One of the things that, uh, that often comes up when we talk about availability and we talk about this, this idea, I, I, I like to study words. I like to figure out where things come from. And so tonight, we're actually going to throw a lot of things against the wall. It's going to be a pretty coherent message, but I'm hoping that each one of you will leave out of here with something that you can take with you. I, I don't want to go with one central theme, and if I got half of you that don't quite get it, then half of you are leaving thinking, I got nothing from church tonight. So we're going to throw a bunch out there, and I'm pretty confident that something that I say tonight, something that the Lord has for you is going to hit home and is really going to hopefully put you on a path to making some positive change in this area of availability. So the origins of this word availability take us to an interesting place. There is actually no word availability found in biblical texts. The only root word really that you can find is this word avail, this word avail. And so um, it wasn't until the 15th century that this, they added this, this able, this end of, of availability to the word where you kind of came up with this def- definition of what it means to be available at one's disposal, capable of being made use of. Now, that definition really kind of hit home for me. I started thinking, well, yeah, I'm, I'm capable of being made use of. I mean, you, when you put it that way, like, I'm available. I, I, I'm, you can make use of me, Lord. You can make use of me, friends. You can make use of me, family. I'm in. Just tell me what you need me to do. I'm available. One of the other things that's interesting about this word study is that the word available is actually an adjective. So that means it's just a descriptive word. It kind of describes your state of mind. Yet avail, the root word of availability, is actually a verb. It's an action. You've got you to gotta do something. You've got to move somewhere in order to be in that spot. And so while it may sound profound tonight, if you think about availability, really you have to take some sort of action. You have to create movement to get to the place of availability. You guys follow that? So we can't just say, oh, we're available Use us, we, that's, that's describing our availability if we haven't taken some sort of action to make ourselves available. So that's just a little bit of background, and I want to challenge your availability tonight. I want to I ask you, how many of you are truly available? Do you live a lifestyle of availability? So we're going to talk about three things that we can identify where areas of our life that were truly available to God. Then we're going to talk about three roadblocks that we sometimes put up on our own that prevent us from being available. And then we're going to talk about a solution. We're going to talk about a way that we can solve that in Jesus' name and hopefully come to a place where we live this overarching lifestyle that says we are available. Amen? You guys with me? All right. Let's do it. So if you have your fill-in-the-blank notes, or even if you don't, they're right here. The very first area of availability that we talk about is thoughts. Thoughts. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on what is above, not on what is on the earth. See, the power of your thoughts and mind is just, it's one of the amazing things that, that we think about. When we think about God creating us in his image. Our thoughts are unbelievably powerful. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you really prayed for your thought process? See, most of us pray for tangible things. We pray for need. We pray for things that we feel like we, we can touch, we can feel, we can see, where we can pray through some things and God can change some things and change the outcome and we can then get some encouragement from it and, and then move on to the next thing. But praying for our thought process sometimes is not where a lot of us go. 
And what ends up happening a lot of times is our thought process is full of a bunch of things we're trying to avoid instead of things that we're trying to achieve. Now, this, I'm not Tony Robbins. This is not a self-help seminar, okay? So nobody get nervous about that. I'm not going to swallow fire. I'm not going to walk on, on hot coals, all right? But we are, we are going to play a little bit of a game. So if you can do this for me, I, I want to just illustrate to you the power of your thoughts and the power of a, pow- of, of a positive thought process, okay? So if you can, as best you can, I need you to just to clear your mind, wipe it clean, clean slate. I'm going to give you a direction in just a minute that I want you to do, all right? All you got to do is carry it out in your mind. Everybody clear? Are we good? Some of you are like, I'm not good, dude. I don't want to do this. All right? No one's going to get embarrassed. No one's getting hypnotized right here, okay? All right? So here we go. Clear your mind. I'm going to give you a directive. Here we go. Don't think of a pink elephant. Don't think of a pink elephant. Now, I gave you a directive of something not to do. So if we're family here, Full disclosure, who thought of a pink elephant? And who's lying right now? Everybody didn't have their hand raised, right? It's the power of positive thought. It's just a simple illustration to say, hey, what kind of things are in your thought process? Are your thoughts available to God? Have you prayed your thought process and given it to God so that he might be present and evident in your thought process? There's this powerful passage of scripture that, that talks about that in Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence. And if there's any praise, dwell on these things. So at the end of that, you get dwell on these things, which, which literally can be translated as think on these things, meditate on these things. So if we go back and reread that list of things and I put think instead of whatever, I put think on what is true. Think on what is honorable. Think on what is just. Think about what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable. Speech, actions take over, and actions are the final stage of our availability. So it's saying that we should conduct ourselves in a way that we are above reproach. That no one can come to us and say, hey, your words, your thoughts, I can't really know those things all the time, but I see your actions, and and I can bring accusation against you. You say you're a Christian? You say you're a follower of Jesus Christ? You say you're a disciple of Jesus? Well, your actions don't show me that. You might talk it and you might think it outside of my ability to know it. But if your actions aren't exhibiting that on a daily basis, if your actions aren't available, how will others know of the good that's coming from inside of you? See, action is the final cause. It's the final way that we can show availability. Matthew 7, 21. It's a powerful passage that kind of illustrates this. And Christ is talking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. You can circle that on your notes, maybe write that off to the side. Anyone who does the will of my father. See, what I think Christ is getting at here is like, hey, words alone aren't going to get you into the kingdom. Actions will. Now, we have to tiptoe a little bit because we're not talking about a works-based faith here. We're not saying that if you work hard enough and you're good enough, you're just going to get in. The only words you really need to say is, Jesus Christ, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, and that qualifies you to get into the kingdom. But see, we're trying to take the next step of how we affect others in Jesus' name. 
How do we move on from that and, and make a difference to people that we come in contact with? And it's about action. And so you get this, even, even as Christ is explaining this, it's like you show up at the gates and you're like, hey, Jesus. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's not going to work. Did you do the will of my father? Did you live out the first and second greatest commandment? Did you live out the great commission? Because if all you did while you were down there was just say my name and expect to come up here and get through these gates by just saying, hey, Lord, Lord, look, look, I'm right here. Christ is saying, no, it's whoever does the will of my father, whoever, whoever takes action. You get the sense that Christ is talking about an empty faith here. A faith that on the outside seems available, but really is inaccessible. Lord, Lord, I'm here. I'm available. But really, we're inaccessible. We don't make ourselves available for God to do things. Three areas right there. Maybe you're already kind of getting, getting to the point where, where one's hitting home from you. Thoughts, words, actions. Areas of availability for God. So, we move this down the field. I'm asking, how are we translating this availability we have for God to availability for others? So now we have availability. We're making ourselves available for God. And now we have to take that and we want to transfer it to others. We want to transfer it to those around us, to our coworkers, to our family, to people in our neighborhood, to people in our sphere of influence. We want to, we want to make sure that they see the availability we have for God. And we exhibit that in our relationship with them as we, as we move forward. We must first make ourselves available to God and then to others. If you think about the first and second greatest commandment, they're really about availability. Now, I know it says love, and I'm not denying that, but can you really love without being available? I don't think you can, right? To, to love the Lord God with all your heart. Well, in order to love, I've got to be available. And if I'm going to do that to God, I, I have to be available all the time. Right? And, and, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, to, to, to be selfless and to give up my desires and my thoughts for, for the sake of somebody else, I've got to be available pretty much all the time. So I've got to come to a place of availability, even in the first and second greatest commandment. And true availability can't stop at thoughts and words. You can feel that in there. It's got to be well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's this, there's this powerful parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, and we won't work through it all, but you guys probably know the, the meat and potatoes of that. In, in essence, you have this, this rich ruler, this, this guy that is getting ready to go on a trip, and, and, and he has three servants come to him, and he gives five talents to one, and, and he gives two talents to another, and one to a third, and, and he tells them to go out and do something with it. And it's amazing when you look at this passage and you really study it, that it doesn't say that the man gave them any instruction. He just gave it to them, and then he left. So we read in this, in this parable that, that the one with five talents went, and he took it somewhere, and he put it to work, and money made money, and, and lo and behold, when the master came back, he was able to present him with five more talents. And the, 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 the gentleman that got two did the same thing. He took it, he put it to work, and, and he did something with it, and when, when the master got back, he gave him four talents. And the one guy that had one talent took it and he buried it. You might say, well, he did something with it. He buried it. And that's true. But he really didn't make, he didn't, he didn't do anything with it to move it forward, right? He just took it. He hid it. He buried it. And he's face to face with the master and master calls him a wicked slave. He didn't do anything 
with what he was given. He didn't make a difference. He wasn't available. And I, I had this thought, you know, as it, as it relates to availability, it's interesting that this master came back and he told the guy with five talents and the guy with two talents, hey, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Did you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, well thought. Great idea. That, that's going to work out. Keep thinking that way. He didn't say, well said. Right? Don't point, but we all know people who are well said people, right? They talk a great game. They tell us what they're going to do all the time. They don't often get it done. Right? So in this passage, it's not, hey, well thought, thou good and faithful servant. If that were the case, we'd probably all be getting in. All we'd have to say is, Lord, Lord. And you'd be like, yeah, open it up. Come on in. Or well said. Hey, I had great intentions. I said I was going to do it, even though I never got to it. It's well done. I don't know about you. I don't want to live a lifestyle of well thought or well said. I want to live a lifestyle of well done. Who among us right now can't give more in their availability to others? We all can in some form or fashion. We don't want to be a people of well thought or well said while, while there's others that are, that are waiting for the love of Christ in our interaction to, to spur them on to a relationship with God. We want to be well done people. See, I think people come to us all the time with stuff in their life. Our conversations, our interactions, and a lot of times we give them this, right? Hey, I'm thinking about you. It's through Facebook, it's through Twitter. Maybe somebody handwrites a note. I don't know. Or it's, hey, praying for you. And then I'm thinking, what would happen if, if the next time that coworker came to you in the workplace, or the next time that family member who doesn't have a relationship with God came to you, and they brought that to you, and instead of us saying, hey, you know what I'm thinking about you, I'm, I'm praying for you. What if we said, hey, I want to pray for you right now. Right now in this break room at work. I want to agree with you in prayer. I don't want to be well thought or well said. I want to do it right now. I want to take action so that you know that you can see the love of Christ. Because I think in that situation, I don't know that Christ would ever say, hey, I'll be thinking about you. Go get him. He would take action. He would do something about it. Now, we can't be available for everybody, right? That would be impossible. There's a, there's a fill in the blank there. You, you can't be available for every. You don't have to serve everyone, but serve someone. Just serve someone and see where that goes. It can feel overwhelming, right? Not everybody can be a pastor. Not everybody can wake up every day and, and work in the church or, or, or work as, as a member of the clergy and not have some sort of job where you also are talented and you're supporting your family and you have people that depend on you. Like, I get that. But serve someone. Don't stay in the starting blocks because you think you can't do enough significant work to even get off the line. Because you can. We want to serve someone. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 to 23, it, it talks in here about uh, just... Paul saying that he became everything to everyone in order that he might, he might win some. He said that I, I became, I became strong to the strong so that I might win some. 
I became weak to the weak so that I might win some. I became Gentile and Jew. I became everything so that I might relate one-on-one in hopes that I might win somebody to Jesus Christ. What you get in there is that it's not a foolproof plan. It doesn't necessarily always have a 100% guaranteed success rate. But if we become all things to all people, if we become all things to one person in our life, we might win them. And that'll be worth it. Start with someone. Doesn't have to be everyone, but start with someone. So as we move forward a little bit, we talk about these three areas of availability, words, thoughts, actions, how we take that from being available to God to being available to others. And now we're going to talk about three roadblocks real quickly that we create ourselves that prevent us from being available. I am going to bet that one of these three roadblocks is going to hit you right in the middle of the chest as we talk through it. These are roadblocks that we put up that keep us from being truly available. Things, these are things that make us well-said and well-thought followers of Jesus Christ instead of well-done followers of Jesus Christ. First one is responsibility. This roadblock of responsibility. See, we create so much responsibility in our life, we become irresponsibly responsible. That's pretty deep. I know it's Sunday night, kind of we're easing out of the week, easing into the new one. Irresponsibly responsible. It means that what, what we've done is we've created all this responsibility in our life, all of this busyness, all of this hectic lifestyle. Why? Well, mainly because in America, that means you've got it together, right? Think about the last time you talked to somebody and you said, hey man, how are things going? How's things? I'm lazy got nothing going on. I am totally available. You need something now? What do you got? You want to go now? What do you, what do you need me to do? Right? No, the answer is always I'm busy, right? I'm busy. Well, why are you busy? Well, because we've taken a bunch of things in life and we've made them responsibilities because it means that we're important. It means that we're valuable. It means that we are assets to people. We, we create a bunch of this responsibility on our own and we don't leave any margin in our life at times for God to do something. Matthew 8, 18. This is a little bit lengthy passage, but let's get this. This is an unbelievable, this is an unbelievable illustration of this availability as it relates to responsibility. All right. When Jesus saw large crowds around him, we're starting in verse 18, Matthew 8, 18. When Jesus saw large crowds around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him. And said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, I want you to underline, circle, highlight, or whatever you need to do on your smartphone, disciple. Another one of his disciples said, First, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I would almost give anything to be a part of this conversation. I want to I be there while this interaction takes place. So let's, let's go there, right, in your mind's eye. Christ is having this conversation with a disciple, somebody that has seen miracles, somebody that has seen his act, somebody that has seen the things that he does and knows the expectation. And Christ is saying, hey, why don't you come? And this disciple, which means he's already a believer. This is not, an, this is not a non-believer. 
a disciple says, hey, Jesus, I'm going to go, but first I need to go bury my father. Christ, in all his compassion and mercy, says, nah, let the dead bury their own dead. Your dad's going to be good. Come on. They're thinking, well, that's a pretty prudent answer if I'm that guy. Like, hey, I want to go bury my dad if he's not feeling well. If you study this a little bit, the scripture background here says that dad's probably not dead yet. He's on his way to death. And it's important for this guy to be there for inheritance reasons and for family matters. Like being there was really important. Being a part of that burial was really important as it related to society and the lifestyle that he lived. And Christ is saying, forget it. You don't need to go. You need to come with me right now. You know what I think Christ is asking? Hey, are you available right now? What responsibility do you have that is so great that you can't follow me? And we read this now thousands of years later, and, and we, we want to kind of laugh at this disciple. Yet, if Christ walked in today and he's like, hey, Chris, I need you to come with me. I'd probably be like, hey, I got to finish the sermon up real quick. Give me about 10 and then we're going to head out. Right. We'll go to in and out. We'll have it. We'll be good. Right. How available are we really? It's an amazing I, it, it, it gets me inside because I don't think this is unreasonable. Yet Christ is asking, are you available? I got punched in the gut yesterday. I have finally arrived in, in my life. We have a, uh, a new refrigerator in our garage. Awesome. I've always wanted to have a refrigerator in my garage just for drinks. Glass bottle Cokes, Capri Suns, juice, right? Uh, all the fish and meat that, that I don't kill or hunt for in the freezer, right? Like this is like status of I've made it. I have a refrigerator in my garage, awesome, right? So we got one from a friend yesterday. I'm cleaning it in the garage. It's literally 1,300 degrees in there. I'm just pouring sweat. Here comes a guy up to my garage door and it's a guy from Teen Challenge. And he's got brochures and he's a guy that's, that's in the program. He's saying, hey, we're trying to raise funds to get some more of these guys that are on the waiting list into the program. And my first inclination was, hey, why don't you leave me the brochure and I'll write you a check because I'm probably going to do it anyway. But I got to get back to this refrigerator right now because I've made it, bro. If you haven't noticed, I'm about to put a bunch of cold stuff right in here, right? And this came to mind. Maybe it was because I was in preparation for our time together. I got checked right there. I put down the cleaning stuff and I engaged the guy in a conversation. And it was literally three minutes because he had stuff to do as well. It wasn't like he wanted to have a 30 minute conversation, but I got to tell him that I was in ministry and I got to tell him that I know all about Teen Challenge. And I got to tell him that people like me believe in the program of Teen Challenge and we believe in the power of Christ to deliver him from any drug addiction that he might have. And I'm going to tell you that was probably ended up being the best door to door interaction he had all day. And I almost let it go by because I wasn't available. Too much responsibility. Are you available today? The second roadblock we put up is routine. Routine. We've got our routine. We can't get out of our routine. God, I need you to be available. Or I need to be available to God. But God, I need you to show up during my routine when I have it like marked out and laid out. So it doesn't mess up the rest of my day. Okay. And some of us are like, yeah, I'm type A personality. That's exactly how it works. 
I pray for that all the time. God ministered to me during my devotional time in the morning because that's when I've got it set aside, right? Some of us are so rigid in our routine that, that we can't get out of it. I, I, I did this. I found this interesting study, the American time study, and I'll go through this really fast. I don't want to bore you with numbers, but this is the average American, the time they spend per day in different routines, eight and a half hours of sleep. I don't know where they took that. I don't know who gets eight and a half hours of sleep, but apparently that's the average. Okay. Eight and a half hours of sleep, seven and a half hours of work. Apparently we, we all work in France. We work the 30 hour work week here, five hours on leisure activity, 46 minutes commuting, 35 minutes grooming, 21 minutes reading, 19 minutes thinking and relaxing nine and a half minutes on religious activity. That's the average American breakdown for how you spend your day. What your routine looks like now. I think in this room, we're probably above the nine and a half. I'm just going to assume that. But let's, let's condense some things. Let's just all agree 75% of our day goes to sleeping, getting ready, getting to work, and then working. Okay? We'll just, we'll just all agree that we do that. That's 75% of our day. That means we have 25% of it left. That's 300 minutes. According to this survey, with the 25% we have left, we spend 2% of it thinking, relaxing, or doing religious activities. The rest of the time, we've got a routine in place, or we've got responsibilities already lined up that prevent us from being available to God. We don't have any availability unless it comes on Saturday between like 11 and 1230 in between games. If you need me to help you move, I'm your guy right then. I could probably get one load in and then I got to go. But if you need any more availability than that, I'm not in, right? We've got this routine and it kills some of us to get out of the routine. It's hard to do. Now, let's make sure we understand the difference between spiritual disciplines and spiritual routines, right? Disciplines we've got to have. Disciplines can't ever leave, right? We relate it to like the health world. Like we need to have the discipline of of working out and being fit. But if you do the same routine every day, what eventually happens? Our body adjusts, changes stop happening, And no more change happens at all. Well, it's the same thing, I think, at times in our spiritual life. See, our spiritual routine becomes this thing we can check off the list. We want to do it in the morning so we can get out of the way. That's what what some of us really feel. But we really say, we do it in the morning because I want to start my day with the Lord. Maybe that's true, right? Most of us are just like, man, I got to get this done, right? I got to get after it, get it done. Some of us need a breakthrough that will only come from a new routine. You feel that in there, that a change of pace and a change of place equals a change of perspective. Some of us, that's all we need. We don't need to do anything different other than we need to have some alone time with God in a new place at a new time of day. Or we need to get out of our routine in such a way that we begin to serve somebody outside of what we think is our availability time. That change of pace and that change of place will bring a change of perspective. Ask anybody that's been on a missions trip. The reason missions trips hit home and change people's lives from the inside out is because it is outside of their comfort zone. It is outside of their norm. It is outside of their rhythm and their routine. And God gets a hold of them and he gets in their face and he says, this is what I want you to see. 
And for some of us, it's simple as maybe reading a new translation of the word. Maybe we journal a little bit. Maybe we go to a new place to have devotional time. Change of pace plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. The third area that we sometimes put up as a roadblock to our availability is this area of fear. This area of fear. Mark Batterson is a, uh, an author, pastor, and, and he had this quote. It's pretty funny and yet powerful. We need to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Some of us have been there, right? Like, man, we just we don't want any risk. We, we, don't, we don't want to do anything new. I'm kind of fearful of change. I'm fearful of new stuff. We're just going to keep it right down, keep it right down the road. We don't, we're not going to, we don't want to rock the boat. So we can arrive safely at death. See, fear causes us to live life on the defense. It really does. We don't want to be there. One of the things we fear loss more than we value gain. And so we shield ourselves from new things because we're fearful. We, we don't want it to go bad. We don't want it to go wrong. There's this powerful story in 1 Samuel 14. It talks about Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of Saul at this time. And Jonathan has come up with this game plan to go attack some Philistines. And, and he's going to attack them basically with just him and his armor bearer, which is a really bad idea. I'm going to kind of race through this story, but I want you to go back and read it. 1 Samuel 14. It's an awesome battle story. And basically one day Jonathan tells his armor bearer, hey, we need to go attack these 20 or so Philistines. By the way, Philistines are bored and bred like killing machines. That's what they were raised to do. They were like the modern day Spartans of the time, right? Like they were raised just to kill. That's what they did. And so his armor bearer, like at this point is like, man, I don't really know about your plan. Are you sure that's a good idea? He doesn't say that. He just immediately says, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Well, what really happens in verse 6 is powerful. See, Jonathan is trying to convince his armor bearer that this is a great idea. This is a great war strategy. Let's go attack these Philistines. God will be with us. I know it. And then in verse 6, he hits him with this little verse. Perhaps the Lord will help us. I'm sold. Yeah. I'm looking for a little bit bigger guarantee. Maybe just a bit, a larger, give me something a little more than that, please, before I jump all in, right? Yet sometimes this speaks volumes in our life. It spoke volumes to my wife and I about three years ago as we were going through a prayer process to move back to Tucson and someone brought me this verse and said, hey, I was thinking about you. We were praying through some things and I realized that, you know what? Perhaps the Lord will help us. But if he doesn't, if it doesn't work out, the only thing I'm guilty of is chasing after God. That's not really anything to be upset about. That's not really falling short. That's just circumstances. That's just life. Sometimes those things happen. Yet, I think some of us, we live in this roadblock of fear because we are waiting for like a stamp seal of approval before we will go do anything that we feel like maybe God has laid on our heart. I'm here to tell some of you today that you might be praying through some things. Maybe you're struggling through some things and, and God's just saying to you tonight, perhaps I'll help you. Perhaps I'll help you. And you're going to have to make a decision. Do I chase after God? Do I do it even though it sounds crazy? Or do I wait for this sealed stamp of approval? 
I call it the Mark 16, 20 mindset. It says, and then they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word by the accompanying signs. You see, Christ sent out disciples who at that moment in time should have been scared for their life and a little bit nervous about what it all looked like. And, 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 and Christ sends them out and he says, you need to go. And so they went and preached everywhere. And then God confirmed everything. See, the accompanying signs and the seal of approval didn't come before they went. They came after the fact. Some of us are there tonight. Some of us just need to go and do what we feel like God's called us to do, even if we don't have that, that signed, sealed stamp of approval. And God will bring an accompanying sign for you in your life to be truly available. So we've talked about this idea of our, 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 our thoughts, our words, our actions are available to God. Roadblocks that we put up and responsibilities and routines and fear that sometimes prevent us from truly being available for God and for others. And so the question is, how do we fix that? How do we solve that issue? The key to availability in life, to be truly available for God and people, we've got to have balance. That's the... That's, the fill in the blank there. We've got to have balance. Ecclesiastes 3 um, talks about this big old long list of things. There's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. Time to give birth, a time to die, time to tear down, a time to build, a time to embrace, a time to, to avoid embracing, on and on and on. And most of the time we kind of refer to this as just like Solomon saying, hey, like life is worthless, right? It's all vanity. None of it matters. But if you read this from the perspective of balance, doesn't this just tell us that life really does have an ebb and flow? That it's not always just going to be this straight, linear, smooth line, that it's going to go up and down a little bit. These are seasons of life. These are, these are things that we deal with and things that we go through. There's, there's time where we keep things and there's times where we throw things away. There's a time where, where life comes in and there's a, there's a time when life ends. It's just this flow of life. It's the balance and rhythm of life. The key to being available is balance in life. And it's telling us right there in Ecclesiastes 3 to expect that life's going to have some up and downs and we've got to find some middle road. So how do we keep our balance? The first key to balance is you must have a focal point. You must have a focal point. What is the focal point of your thoughts, your words, and your actions tonight? Where are you looking? What are you focusing on in order to find availability in those areas? My hope and prayer is that it's Jesus Christ. That's where we want to be. Maybe we need some additional help in getting there, but that should be our ultimate focal point. We've got to stay focused on that or everything around us begins to crowd in, creep in, and get us off our spot. Colossians 3, 2, we go back to that. It says, set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. What's the focal point of your thoughts, your words, and your actions? Second key to balance is we have to be willing to make constant adjustments. Let me tell you something right now in a word of encouragement. Don't believe the lie that adjustments are failure. That's the enemy's best way to discourage you and knock you off the path and the, and, the, and the road that God wants you down. See, we all make adjustments in life. Make adjustments today based on what we learned yesterday. Adjustments don't equal failure. Adjustments equal growth. 
And we've got to find a way to make constant adjustments in life. See, our adjustments begin to shape our life in ways that make us more available to God and people. If you want to live a lifestyle of availability, you've got to find balance. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. It's an amazing thing about focal points and adjustments. I could probably do this for quite a long time, as long as my, my body would probably allow me to. But if you can see, thank you. But what's happening is I've got a focal point focusing right on the, the barrel of this bat. And if you see my hand, I'm making constant adjustments. They're not failures. They're just ways to make sure that I can continue to achieve what I set out to do. But what happens is if I stop with, with my focal point and only keep trying to do adjustments, eventually I'm going to lose balance. Same can be said if, if I keep my focal point, but I lose my willingness to make adjustments, eventually I'm going to lose balance. If we want to live a lifestyle of availability, we've got to be willing to have a focal point each and every day that's surrendered to God. And we have to be willing to make constant adjustments as he leads and guides us in those areas. Father, we thank you for tonight, an opportunity to come into your presence, an opportunity to dive into your word and to encourage one another and sharpen one another. I pray that of everything that was said and shared tonight through, through music and, and prayer and, and, and message, that something would just penetrate the heart of each and every one of us in this room. That you would give us the opportunity and the ability to be available in thought, words, and actions for you. And that we might translate that to availability to others so that they might see Christ, God's love through us. I pray that you would remove roadblocks from our life that we put up that keep us from being available for you all the time. Remove responsibility that's worthless. Remove routine that doesn't get anything accomplished. Remove fear that the enemy has placed in our heart that we might be more available to serve you. I pray that you would help us to find balance in this life, that you would be the focal point of everything that we go after and that you would allow us the grace to make adjustments on a daily basis and to walk in your mercy. In Jesus' name.